1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we ask this morning um, that you would incline your ear to us, that you'd empower us, that you would give us the grace we need to hear your voice uh, through this passage. Just help us to see uh, the good you have for us and how you give us commands to protect us and to help us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So the Bible uh, teaches something very significant uh, about what a human being is, about who a human being is. And it's pretty unique among worldviews. And uh, I'll say I think the Christian faith gets this right. Um, But it's something we don't think about much. And that's this. The Bible teaches that every person in this room is body and soul in the same person. So I'll explain, when I say soul, I mean the, uh, you can say heart, will, emotions, everything that's not physical, that's you, okay? The things that's inside you that makes you you, okay? That's the soul or the spirit or whatever you want to say, all right? The scripture teaches that human beings are are body and soul in the same person. Uh, There's a fancy, um, there's a fancy term uh, for this. It's called psychosomatic unity. I just want to say that so y'all can... Take that to lunch today, okay? Impress somebody with that, okay? Uh, mind, body, same person. Um, and that might, that might be a little confusing, but we, uh, we see this in all sorts of ways in our, in our lives. Uh, have you noticed that when you feel happy, you have more energy? Likewise, when something's really dragging you down, when you're struggling with something, you're, you're probably more lethargic, more prone to sleep too much, you can't really get anything done. Um, that is your soul affecting your body because they're one. They're, they're united together. Um, or maybe the last time you Netflix binged for four hours while eating half a gallon of ice cream, okay? How was your soul after that? Did it, were you happy in the Lord? No, you weren't, okay? That is your physical body affecting your soul because they're united. They're, they're one. God made us that way. And um, I just want to say, just as a side note, all right, if you are um, perhaps considering the Christian faith this morning, if you're not convinced, I want, or maybe if you're trying to share Christ with your friends or people you know in your, in your spheres of influence, okay, the Christian worldview almost alone gets this right. This, is a, this, is way, um, this makes way more sense of our experience 
than say the naturalistic worldview that we're just animals, right? We're not, that we're just bodies or maybe the kind of pop culture, Eastern Buddhistic view that says that, you know, our bodies don't really matter, that we're just spirits and you can do whatever you want to, right? The Christian worldview makes sense. It makes sense of our experience. So anyways, back to 1 Corinthians 6. Um, Have you ever wondered why, if God is a spiritual being and his demands on our life are primarily spiritual, that he would make us physical? That's kind of a, it's a fun question to ask. Have you ever wondered that? Why are we, if God's spiritual and the, the thing that's going to determine our destiny is spiritual, right? How we respond to Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual thing, right? If that's the case, why did God make us physical? Why, why fall weather and coffee and broken bones, right? Why, why, why all those things? Why, why do we live in a physical world if what is most significant about us is spiritual? And uh, as, as we'll see today, God made us this way as incarnated souls, as people, as spirits in bodies, so that we could most fully enjoy him. He made our bodies for himself. The reason we're physical creatures, God God made us physical bodies to inhabit us and to help us to enjoy him and know him in a variety of ways we would never do so apart from that. And because... um, God made us for these purposes, and he made us body and spirit. Um, What we do with our bodies is immensely significant. How we treat our... Did you guys know, this is a sidebar, okay? You will be in a physical body forever. Did you know that? When you you die, okay, your soul and spirit, your spirit will be separated from your body for a time. Then when Jesus returns, okay, he's going to raise you from the dead. You're going to be physical forever. It's that significant. Uh, But what you do with your body matters, and sex is the most significant act anyone can do physically. Um, as we'll, we'll, see here, we'll see here later in the passage. Uh, we'll get here later, but uh, in verse 16, okay, uh, it says the two will become one flesh. A biblical definition of sex is two people becoming one. As Matt Chandler says, it's a mingling of souls. It's hugely significant. So if our bodies are significant because they're made for God, and if sex is significant, that means that, that what, how we view this and how we see it and what we do with our bodies matters. And in Corinth, uh, sex, like it is in America today, was very cheap. Uh, it was the kind of city where you, you could, uh, it's kind of like Bourbon Street um, in uh, New Orleans. You could not get to work without seeing a prostitute or a brothel. Sex was everywhere. It was cheap. It was impossible to miss it. Um, and the Corinthians had adapted some of these cultural values, and in our day, the church has adapted them too. And so let's just see how Paul addresses them. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 12. All right, slogan number one. Uh, all things are lawful for me. And I'll just give you guys a Bible verse for these uh, slogans. Ecclesiastes uh, 1.9 says there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, what I love about the scriptures, they speak to our day. You could put the catchphrases in verse 12 and 13 into the mouth of most Americans. Okay? All things are lawful for me. Uh, that just simply means that uh, I'm a spiritual person. And so I can do basically whatever I want to. The rules don't apply for me. Maybe in a Christian sense, it'd be, you know, I'm forgiven. Um, my, my sins are covered, so I can do whatever I want to. Or uh, more in a maybe pop American culture, you guys have probably heard this, okay? God, God is love, right? And he wants me to be happy, you know? So it doesn't matter what I do. He, he, God, as, long as, I'm, as long as I'm pursuing my own happiness and as long as I'm being true to myself, right? Y'all have heard that, okay? I can do what I want to. All things are lawful for me. Um, and Paul says not all things are helpful. Um, he doesn't want to be dominated by anything. Uh, sexual morality 
is not a helpful thing. As we'll see, um, because our bodies are significant, because God made them for himself, uh, there's something significant, a rift that happens. It's not, sexual morality is not a helpful thing. Um, but look at the verse 13. This is a slogan that is basically the, the battle cry of America um, as far as sexuality. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Uh, that's basically a nice way of saying, I have a physical body. Uh, it appears my body is designed for sex and I have sexual desires, so go for it. Yeah, that's, that's what it says. Um, do whatever you want to. And that, that's very close to America, right? Um, s- some people will say we're just animals. We have sexual urges and desires, right? Um, it doesn't matter what we do with our body. And Paul's main response is surprising, okay? And I, just want to, I want you guys to see how surprising this is, okay? Uh, other passages in the scriptures talk about almost, not everyone, but most passages in scripture that talk about sexual morality relate it to judgment. You know, 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about God judges the sexually immoral. Revelation, God judges them. That's not here. It's really interesting. Here's what Paul says in verse uh, 14, or end of 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Just uh, walk through this really quickly. Um, the body is your physical self, right? The physical part of you, okay? Sexual morality, I'll just define this, just because it's important in our day to define this term clearly. Uh, it's any sexual activity of any form outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. That's what the word covers. The Greek word is pornea. It's where we get the word pornography from, okay? It covers all kinds of sexual activity. I say including thoughts and attitudes of the heart, okay, that are outside of a marriage covenant between one man and one woman. Okay, so any of that, all right? It's a broad term. It's intentionally broad. It's very important in our day to understand that. Um, So the body is not meant for that. But it's meant for the Lord, and I just want to, uh, this is just so fun because in, in typical Christian culture, okay, a normal person, the, 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 your mentor, okay, most likely what they would say to you when you're like, I'm just struggling with my sex desires, whatever, they would say, your body's not meant for immorality, but for what? Sex and marriage, right? They'd say, just wait, you know? Just wait to have your desires satisfied in marriage. Just be patient. And that's not what Paul says. You know, Paul, Paul's a, a single guy. He chose singleness for the gospel. He, uh, he might have been married at some point in his life, but we know that through the New Testament, he's not. And he chose that for the Lord, as we'll see next week. But Paul says, it's not that your body is meant for sex and marriage. I mean, it, it is, in some sense. It's meant for the Lord. It's not, it's not just that you should wait, right, and save yourself for marriage or whatever we say, okay? It's that your body, God designed your body for himself, that he, he made it to dwell in. He made it for you to enjoy him in. Um, that's the main purpose of your body. That's, that's the intent that God made for your body. So um, in one sense, this is a really freeing truth. Um, I'll just say, I think, uh, I think sex is a great gift, but it's a terrible God, right? It's, it's a good gift to be enjoyed in marriage, but if it rules your life, if, if, if all you do, if you're setting your heart on that day when you'll finally be, finally be able to get to enjoy it, what's going to happen is, You'll either get it and it won't be what you expected, right? It disappoints you, or you won't get it and you'll be bitter. And I think that's what Paul's saying here, man. Sex is a good gift, but it's a terrible God. Don't set your heart on it. Um, God made your body to enjoy Him, 
And uh, I think there's just one big application I want to make from this verse. And I'll just start with a question. Uh, you know, everybody, all human beings, to some degree, are obsessed with sex, okay? We can just admit that, okay? We might not say that publicly. It might be hard to say in church, but, like, it drives us in many ways. Um, and a good question to ask is why? And the answer is not primarily biological. That's a very atheistic way of looking at your body and your sex desires, okay? I think, um, I think what sex offers us, um, it offers us intimacy and affirmation and pleasure. That's what it offers us. That's, that's what we desire. Um, when, you, when you guys think about it, that's probably what you're thinking about. You know, there, there is nothing, um, there's no close, you can't get closer to a human being than that, right? Um, you, can't, you can't have more personal affirmation than that. And what I want to say is God offers you, um, through the blood of Jesus, in relationship with him, he offers you a deeper pleasure and a deeper intimacy and a deeper affirmation than sex. You, you, will be, you will be happier walking with him in purity. Um, Hugh Hefner, the uh, founder of Playboy magazine, magazine uh, died this past week. And a lot of Christians have written a lot of things about that. Um, one great article from Desiring God. I just encourage you guys to read that. Good perspective on his life. But I want you to imagine uh, Hugh Hefner on his deathbed. Um, he never repented, I don't think, at any point in his life. But... Um, imagine him. His, in many ways, his life was defined uh, by sexual morality. That, that, that's what he lived for. It's what he treasured. It's what he uh, trumpeted in American culture. Okay? But just imagine him on his deathbed, um, looking back on his life, looking forward to eternity with the only thing he ever lived for about to be taken from him. And I want you to think, man, is there, is there joy there? Right? Is, he, is, 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 is Hugh happy on his deathbed? Right? I, I don't think so. He lived for something that wasn't eternal. He, 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 he didn't have any deeper joy than that. And guys, that's what the scriptures tell us about sex outside of marriage. Um, a believer in Jesus who never, okay, who never gets to experience sex in this life, okay, they have a deeper joy and a greater pleasure and a higher sense of affirmation than Hugh ever had in his life. He never even smelt this, how good it can be with Jesus. And I think for, for those of you struggling with sexual sin or those of you keeping yourself pure and waiting and struggling with all the frustration that goes along with that, okay, this is what you need. Okay, you don't need like, hey, guard your life, get a filter on your computer, you know, have boundaries with your girlfriend. Those are all good things, okay? What you need is to understand that God has made you and he intends to give you and he will give you a better joy, a greater pleasure, more affirmation than you'll ever get through sex. You need that. That's a gospel's perspective. God made your body for himself. He intends to indwell it. He will. Um, uh, that does not mean that sex is pointless. Okay, we don't want to go there. I'm studying the life of Augustine right now. He's a church father. He was an immoral man growing up, became converted. And then he just said, basically, sex is evil. It's only for making children. Okay, that's not true. All right? Sex is a good gift. Um, but, but just notice... Okay, uh, sex, even sex in marriage, all right, the purpose of sex in marriage is to enjoy God. Now, that sounds crazy. You guys are like, that sounds insane, Luna. But the purpose of sex in marriage is to enjoy God. Let me give you a picture, okay? Sex in marriage, all right, is intimacy and pleasure and affirmation in the context 
of a lifelong covenant. I am here until I die. That's what sex and marriage is, okay? You know what that looks like? That looks like the gospel, right? God faithful to us, him there, whenever, wherever, at all times, right? Him covenanting himself to us and in that us enjoying him. That it's a parable. And outside of marriage, the parable's broken, right? Um, so God made your body for himself. He made uh, you for a deeper pleasure. And I'll just say this morning, um, if you are not a believer in Jesus, God offers you that this morning. He offers joy that will fill your soul. But he only offers it through what the New Testament calls the narrow gate. Matthew 5 says that, that wide is the gate of destruction and narrow is the way to life. And the way to life is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Through trusting in his life lived for you and his death died for you. And through laying your life at his feet. That's called repentance. Turning away from living for yourself. Um, so God made your body for himself. Um, and you will have the greatest joy in your physical body as you pursue God as a physical being. So that's what God intended for our body. Uh, he also has done things to our physical bodies that make it significant. Look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And this word member uh, is simply a fancy word for body part. In fact, I'm not, I'm not sure why they translate it member. It sounds like you're in a club, right? Um, but anyways, uh, the word member, okay, here means body part. So the idea here is that a Christian, someone who has trusted Jesus Christ, they are so united to Jesus, they're super glued to him. They are, they are said to be a part of his very body. So in a real sense, okay, if you're a Christian, this is crazy, like Colossians 1 says, in a real sense, if you're a Christian, Christ himself dwells in you. Jesus is in you. He lives in you, even in your physical bodies. I don't totally understand that, but it's here, okay? He lives in you. Um, and that has huge implications because um, what you do with your body matters. Look what it says. Shall I then take the members of Christ, the very body of Jesus, and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Um, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it's written, the two shall become one flesh. So again, uh, sex, according to the Bible, is not just a physical act. It is a uniting of people. As Matt Chandler says, it's a mingling of souls. The two become one. That's, uh, that's in Genesis 2, all right? Um, sex is the uniting of souls. And so, therefore, all right, here's the logic, okay? Our bodies are one with Jesus, all right? Sex makes two people one. So, therefore, in immorality, what you're doing is you're taking the body of Jesus and you're making it one with something that is defiled. Does that make sense? That's the logic here. It's, it's tough logic, okay? This passage kind of lays it on thick a little bit. Um, that's what he's saying. And uh, just, uh, just imagine uh, how much care you guys take for something new. I remember when Sarah and I first got married and we didn't have expenses, uh, we bought an extremely expensive coffee machine. Like, I, I, I'm embarrassed to tell you. I won't even tell you how much it costs, okay? I'm so embarrassed by it, all right? Uh, it was before we had a mortgage, you know? Anyways, um, maybe for you, uh, you can think through uh, something, something that, you, that you love. Maybe this is a better illustration, maybe. Uh, who here likes new clothes? I love new clothes, okay? Guys, you, you know you do, okay? Um, especially if you get them cheap. Uh, but I want you to imagine you, girls, I, maybe a dress, I, I don't know. But guys, okay, button-down, 
white shirt. It's fresh. It looks great. Smells good. It's got that new, it's crisp, you know. And uh, you bought it. It was like, I don't know, you spent a lot of money, 60, 70 bucks. Whoa, crazy for a shirt, you know. Wow. All right. And you wear it to church, and everyone's complimenting on how great it looks, and you're loving it, okay. And you go to Rio Chico, which is the Mexican place across the street with your friends, okay. And you take, uh, you're eating chips and salsa, and as you eat, okay, like slow motion, okay, you, you turn it wrong, and the salsa just, okay. And I just want you to feel the horror of that for a moment, okay. And how you're like rushing to the bathroom, and you want to clean it off, and you're like, no, it's never going to be the sit, you know. Um, that's hilarious, right? It's, it happens to me every time I wear a white shirt. Um, but I, I, think what, I think what the Apostle Paul is doing in this passage with this uh, truth in the next is he's saying, because of Jesus and because of what he has done, you are that new, clean, white shirt. Your body is pure. It's one with the purest one in the universe. You are the clean one. He, he wants us to have this aversion to immorality, not in the sense of, oh, I'm going to get punished, it's, it's going to make me feel good, but in the sense of, I am, I am polluting something holy. I'm taking something that is pure and righteous and united with the one who made all things, and I am, I am polluting it. Like The next, the next illustration um, is uh, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Again, another truth here, guys. In the Old Testament, I would encourage you to read your Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the temple was the only place in the whole world where God himself was tangibly present. Um, you, 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 could go, you, could, you could be in God's presence in some ways, but the temple was the one place you could go and tangibly feel the presence of God. And the scriptures say here, and again, sorry, sidebar, all those passages in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and chronicles that describe the temple furnishings and it's like 15 chapters and you're like i quit you know just summarize all those the temple is extremely important it's so important that god would give you instructions on the color of the carpet think about that that's how important the temple was in the old testament in the word you have instructions on the furniture that goes in there that's how important it is and here your body your physical body is a temple of, of, the, of the Holy Spirit of God. It is significant. Um, so I, I know this passage lays it on thick. And um, I don't know everybody's stories here, but I know that we're all Americans. And that means that if statistics are right, most people in this room have something right now they feel very guilty about, right? Um, it could be a secret addiction. It could be a past relationship. But everybody in here has got something. If I, if I had, when I read this passage as a new believer, I was saved in college. This passage wrecked me for days. Like, it, it made me feel like I wasn't a Christian when I, when, I, when I was a new believer. Guilt can do that, you know? Sexual sin is one of those sins that, that it, it hurts in a way. Um, but there's one more verse here that I hope can rescue us a little bit this morning. Uh, look at verse 20, or the end of verse 19, very end. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and the central experience of a Christian is not being your own. You are not the one who determines your fate. Your actions, if you're, if, now, now, believing in Christ is an essential thing. That's an action you'd partake in. But your sins do not determine your destiny if you're a Christian. 
Think about that. You are not your own. And the gospel's the story, okay? Listen, if you're, if, you're, if you're guilty this morning, all right, if you're just feeling the weight of what you've done or what you're doing right now, right, there's a place you can run and be cleansed. You know, I, I was reading this morning in uh, John, uh, John 8, that story that's not probably in the original Bible, the one of the woman caught in adultery, and they're going to stone her, and Jesus says famously, he who, is out, he, who, he who is without sin cast the first stone, and they don't, and she's saved, and he walks up to the lady and he says, the adulteress, and he says, I don't condemn you, now go and sin no more. And this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying that to you. If, you. if you have sexual sin in your life, or if you have had, and you're just dying about it, okay, he says, I do not condemn you. All right? Uh, he, he is not up in heaven, okay, looking down on you angry right now if you're a Christian. Jesus, as this verse says, has paid a price for you. He's purchased your life with his blood. The price Jesus paid was he left heaven, all right, which, which would be unimaginably difficult. Think about this. Imagine if uh, today you left out of love for the people of Puerto Rico, okay? You left there and you decided to live there for the next year to help them rebuild. You know what that would cost you? There's no AC, there's no power, there's no water, there are no beds. Your life is extremely uncomfortable, okay, for the next year of your life. When Jesus left heaven, he left a perfect place to become a man. The scriptures say that he was a man well acquainted with sorrow. He dealt with his dad dying at a young age. He, he dealt with all the things we deal with. And he dealt with being lonely. Think about how lonely it would be to be perfect. To be spanked by your mom when you did not sin. That was Jesus' life. His whole life was like that. And he, he, the, his, the part of the price is he left heaven. And then he lived among us. And then he died as a perfect man suffering the consequences of sin. God poured his wrath toward sin on his son Jesus. Jesus bought you with a price, and that price is enough for you this morning. However you've come, whatever your past looks like, whatever your present looks like, that the price that Jesus paid is enough. If you're not a believer, it's enough to save you, and if you are, it's enough to cleanse you. And so my encouragement to you this morning, wherever you are, is to look to Jesus. Look to the life he lived and the price he paid for you. Don't look inside. Don't look at the past. Don't look at what you've dealt with, okay? Repent, ask for forgiveness, and look at Christ. There's healing there. Um, and at the same time, though, the same time there's healing there, I do want to say that the one who purchased your life now owns it, right? I think this you were bought with a price uh, is this image. You know, the idea here, bought with a price, this is a, a common biblical metaphor. It's redemption, which is where... Um, a slave or a bond servant is purchased by someone else, and so they're freed from their slavery. That's the idea here. It's a very, a very Roman word. This happened all the time in Roman culture. You could be purchased out of slavery and be freed. Um, but, the, but guess what? Once you're purchased, you belong to the one who's purchased you. And the idea here is, man, if you're a believer, you have been purchased from your way of life. Your sins are forgiven. But now you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, because of what he's intended for your body, and when he's done for your body, and then he's bought you for himself, glorify God with your body. What you, and again, I would say one fun thing about this verse is it's not just the context is how you view sex, what you do about sex, how you treat it, right? The thoughts of your heart, the boundaries you set in your life, all that kind of stuff. But I think glorifying God with your body is much broader. You know, treat your physical body like it is a temple of the Holy Spirit, like it is a member of the body of Christ. 
again, uh, when my wife and I bought the, uh, the coffee machine, this is how crazy I was about it, okay? We put it on a surge protector, just in case something happened, okay? A surge protector for my coffee machine, okay? And again, again, it was very expensive. But um, there, is, uh, there is a weight to things that we spend money on. Nobody in this room spends $1,000 whimsically. At least I don't think so. I don't think there's anybody that wealthy in this room. You guys are young adults, right? You're, getting, you're in the getting established phase of life, you know? $1,000, it better be worth it, you know? And I better, those of you who've bought a new car and you now have your monthly car payment or your, you know, or your car is like, anyways, you take care of it. When I bought my first, when I had my first car as a college student, man, I washed that thing every week. Now it's like, no. But when, it, when I first purchased it, okay, that's important. And, and what I want to say is, just as we close, that your life has been purchased, your life is more precious than you can imagine. It was precious enough for the Lord Jesus to spill his blood for it. And so, therefore, in light of all that, in light of all we've talked about, man, glorify, your God, glorify God in your body this week. Th- think about what that looks like practically for you to give him glory, especially as you relate to sex. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, we pray you would just take this um, and help us to apply it to our context. We live in a day that is just full of immorality, and we pray that you would um, just have mercy upon us and help us to see how significant um, and precious uh, our bodies are that you've made, and help us to live accordingly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.